Hello and welcome back to Real World Magic. This episode is called How I Made Enough Dough for a Pizza. Now I think I may have written about this or blogged about this in the past somewhere but I can't really recall where or even whether I actually wrote it or simply wanted to or planned to. So here it is. It's not a secret as such but it might change the way you think about money. And the title, How I Made Enough Dough for Pizza, is a little bit misleading. So here's the problem. One Sunday morning, my daughter asked whether we could have a Domino's pizza that evening. I looked in my account and I'm ashamed to say that I only had about £7, which was pretty poor. And payday wasn't for a day or so, and so I was pretty unable to afford a takeaway pizza. But did I say no? Well, no I didn't. I said, if you can help me make enough money today, then yes, we can. Which I always think is a much more constructive way of dealing with questions from kids. Rather than saying no, I'd say, how can we? Make sense? Uh, my daughter was interested and so agreed, and I explained how money works. It's simply a promise. The good thing about money is that it's a means to barter. And that's really all it is. It allows us to trade things with what we agree is the value of that thing. That value is fairly standardised nowadays and in a lot of ways that's a good thing but it's also a worrying feature because it gives us the illusion that things are totally fixed and they're not. I explained to my daughter that using money we can buy something cheaply and sell it for more expensive and in that way we can then make money and skim the excess off into our wallet or in this case into pizza and this ex excess can then be used to buy anything for example pizza so so far so good but how do we do that well we worked out that a domino's pizza which is the most expensive takeaway pizza in our area or it was at the time would set the family back about 25 pounds so that's how much extra money we would need so after we used my seven pounds to make money that's how much money we needed on top. So we needed to increase it by quite a factor, that seven pounds. So the game was on. I had some fuel in the car already, and I know that's kind of cheating, but just ignore that for now. Um, we drove to our local Sainsbury's supermarket. I don't know whether the American chaps have um, Sainsbury's in their country, but we've, we've got a supermarket chain called Sainsbury's in the UK. Um, I drove there to buy the cheapest chocolate that we could find. And we then went to another, um, company called The Range, which I suppose, um, I, I don't know what the equivalent would be of The Range, but it's like a, a thrift store kind of thing, but on a big scale. Um, like, yeah, I don't know what, what it would be in America. Sorry. Um, so we went to one of these uh, these stores to buy cellophane and a red ribbon. It's kind of like a, a arts and crafty type section of a big uh, thrift store sort of thing um, we then went home and started our production line so we melted the chocolate down slowly in a microwave because if you ever burn chocolate it stinks and we poured that melted chocolate into heart-shaped ice cube trays that we already had it was a silicon one so quite fast demolding so that was really good um, making sure to avoid air bubbles as well so we used a, a little sterile paintbrush that I had so once that was set and they were pretty fast to demold we popped them out washed the mold again and then we went again and in the meantime we chilled the demolded ones in the fridge for half an hour or so just to make sure that they were totally stiff totally went off 
The cellophane was then cut into squares big enough to allow some of the chocolates to be put into it and the ribbon was cut into equal lengths, cut at 45 degrees so it looked a bit prettier and it didn't fray quite as easily. Uh, we put five chocolates into the centre of each square and tied them up with a ribbon and then we took them around the neighbourhood in a pretty little tin that we had lying about. Now here's the really important thing I think. My daughter did all the selling. She was much cuter than me, much more persuasive than me and, um, and she did a lot better than I would have otherwise have done I think. We carried a few pounds with us, that was the change from our purchase stock as a float and we sold each bundle for £1.50. Now it didn't really harm our endeavour that this was around about Christmas time as well and people were quite keen on buying these sorts of things as Christmas presents. So, you know, don't get me wrong, you may not be able to do this right in the middle of uh, the summer, but it's more the principle really. Now we didn't sell all of them, we only sold what we had and, um, well sorry, we only sold the stuff until we had £28 surplus to our float, which was it replenished the original uh, seven pounds plus the 28 pounds make sense so um in total that would be uh, 35 pounds now the best thing was that my daughter and son but you know in all honesty he lost interest by now because he was only three years old at the time my daughter and son had enough chocolate to last them for quite a few weeks certainly up until christmas and then way beyond after that because you know family plies them with uh, candy stuff so this may seem a little off topic from the whole real world magic thing, but I think it's pretty magical how that whole process worked and also um, the way that the kids worked out what was going on. You know, they, they saw that money was being generated effectively from nothing really. Um, I think that's pretty magical and we all enjoyed a lovely takeaway that evening as well and it was effectively free to us. And my kids also learned an important lesson about money. Now it doesn't matter how down on your luck you think you are, you can always make life a little bit sweeter, pardon the pun, with a little hard work and creativity. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in again very soon and uh, I'll give you some more gold dust. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye. How to make a spell book. That's really cool, isn't it? Hi, welcome back to Real World Magic. My name's Neil. I'm going to tell you how to make a spell book. And it's probably, maybe, a bit too late for this Halloween uh, 2018. But my kids and I made spell books this weekend, and here is how we did it. First of all, we went to Ye Oldie Charity Shop. In fact, the first charity shop um, sold big hardback books for £1.49 each. And I thought that was a little bit too expensive because we were on a budget. So I went to Ye New Charity Shop. Um, anyway, the second charity shop sold them for only 50p, which I thought was a bit of a bargain. Um, it didn't really matter for us that one of the books was by Geoffrey Archer, the bigger the better. And uh, we picked out three big books, all hardbacks. Um, and we you've got to make sure when you do that not to pick out colour uh, books, because frankly the paper looks different. Uh, you need kind of a cream, almost dirty, and to a certain extent the raggedier the better. Uh, kind of book. I was quite tempted by J uh, David Jason's biography um, because I kind of wanted to read it, but <laughs> I'm getting off topic here. Now the first thing to do was to work out the design. Now uh, I chose a five-pointed star inverted, which is the sign of the goat or uh, like a satanic symbol um, or a second degree wicker, and then I cut it out from some old foam. Now I bought this foam at Poundland, not Pound Stretcher, 
Um, I don't know quite why, but um, there was a little old lady that was advising me, if you want to get that sort of thing, go to Pound Land, not Pound Stretcher. I went into Pound Stretcher anyway, just to have a look around. She was right, it was rubbish. So um, I went into Pound Land instead. instead. Uh, spooky, eh? Ye oldie Pound Land. Uh, I did the same with the letters for the words as I did with the star. So I, I cut out from the foam the word evil spells or the words evil spells and I cut them out. Uh, I used PVA glue to stick them down onto the front cover of the book and I let them dry um, just for a little bit. And then I peeled one sheet of kitchen towel in half uh, to separate the two layers of them. And then I painted the whole of the outside of the book with PVA before placing that kitchen towel layer on top, pushing all of the, all of the um, towel into the cut-outy bits so that it would then stand proud. And then I, um, I covered the whole thing again in PVA before letting it dry because I needed to make sure that, you know, it would all stay together properly. Now you've got to be very careful when you do this to open up the book so that you get both both covers both sides the uh, front and the back as well as the spine but don't bind it too tight or otherwise it will never look right when the book when the book's closed it'll be way too tight um and then you're going to have to cut it and it'll just all look horrible now i painted the whole lot black and then used a dry brush ugh, pardon me dry brush effect to pick out the detail now a dry brush effect is where you dip your pen your paintbrush into paint and then rub off the majority of the paint so that you've only got a very, very thin coating. And you then just gently brush it over. It's called dry brush for a reason. It's supposed to be virtually dry in order to pick out the detail. And it only picks out the higher stuff, the uh, stuff that's standing proud. We we put plastic spiders, again, that we bought in Poundland um, onto the front cover using a hot glue gun. Now, you can paint them if you want. We didn't. Um, but, yeah, I'd be very interested to see uh, some of the things that you would make using that technique um i thought it was really cool my kids loved it um i actually said what do you think was the best thing about this weekend and they both said independently of each other that they loved making the spell books so it's a bit of spooky fun for halloween i hope you find that useful um give it a go and post me some pictures thanks a lot cheers bye, -bye.